0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Welcome to Brooklands. I'm Steve Clark, And thank you for once again supporting the trust. Now, don't get too excited. I'm only back for one night. (laughs) Now, I've always said that in doing this job, I've just stood on the shoulders of giants. And uh, there's no exception tonight. So please welcome Steve Parrish and
1: Charlie Borman. Yeah. No, I, what, I, was, I was just following you in and I, I just realized that you're the motorcycle racer and I'm the one hobbling
2: well we, down, yeah uh, I, I down, did down I, thing. I must admit Charlie I do hobble but probably not quite as much as you but in <laughs> fairness we did hobble down there and I've noticed one or two people hobbling around tonight I think there's there is some correlation maybe with motorbikes and hobbling <laughs> well, to a certain some, extent.
1: someone told me once that if you're not crashing you're not trying
2: exactly right so, yeah
1: I don't know who the fuck said
2: that no but it's not, it's no, not true probably mark you know.
1: marquez it's better to say yeah well, marquez. the rubber band
2: yeah possibly That's anyway charlie absolute... absolute treat to have you here tonight thank, thank you very very much for coming along i know you're a very busy man um i normally start these chats with a sort of chronological form because i forget where i am if we don't do it that way round. and i think you're a little bit the same
1: we're both a, bit, a little dyslexic i think's the word is it yeah just to talk well, my, my, my head i remember i was leaving i was 16 7, 16 and i was um uh, leaving my boarding school, which was a dyslexic school, called Simford School, oh, right. early. and um, So that's
2: why you bought a whorehouse instead of a warehouse. Yeah, right.
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, anyway, so, so, and I was leaving early, so I was going to do my exams in Paris I, while I was making this movie. And, uh, and the headmaster asked me, in, and he said, look, Charlie, he said, you know, let's, quite frankly, he said, listen... Um, if you're thinking about coming back for sixth form, he said, you're not welcome here. <laughs> 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 so that was that. <laughs> got,
2: it, got it straight. So Charlie Borman, uh, and I have done a, f- a few checks up on you. Born in Wimbledon and then spent a lot of your youth in Dublin, right? In, 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 in Ireland. In Ireland, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm, I, well, I don't know how many of you know, but my father is a, a, a guy called John Borman who directed films like Hope and Glory and Excalibur and Emerald Forest Forrest. and. Uh, also point blank um, and, and stuff like that. And my father, um, he uh, so uh, he had four children, um, and and um, and so whenever whenever there was a part for a, for a kid in the movie, he said, "Don't um, pay for any actors; just use my children. They're free." So uh, so that's why that's why I did that. And the first film, I was. Has anyone seen um, a film called Deliverance? Here. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I wasn't the banjo player, just, just uh, you know, or <laughs> well, the one with had the pretty face. Um, uh,
2: I-, I think he so, was getting a fee and keeping it, actually. It was, <laughs>
1: well, well, I, I, but he so he said to me, "Look, Charlie, if you sit on that sofa with that bloke, I'll give you a tricycle." I mean, these days that just sounds so wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, um, so I sat on this on this sofa, and and, and it was John Voigt. So I played at the very end of the movie. John Voigt comes back. To his wife after this horrific experience, and um, he sees his little boy and his wife there and, and stuff. And 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 so, but I was quite shy at the time, and um, and I wouldn't look in the right place. So my father had to get one of the cameramen to to hold up the tricycle behind the camera, <laughs> and he'd move the tricycle to where my eyes should be. So I just followed this tricycle, and I will never forget the tricycle. It was a cherry red tricycle with yellow flames on the front. Um, on the front, front mudguard, and had the tassels. Well, aside. funny show,
2: we have all the way from Ireland
1: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so, so and, the, and I suppose that's... And then I just followed my father around the world making movies. So we lived in Ireland. <clears throat> and we, with three siblings? With my three sisters and my and, and mum. My and, and, and then wherever... So we would spend two or three years in, in Ireland, and then Dad would get a movie, and we'd go down to the South Pacific, or we'd go down to... Um, South Carolina or LA or you know wherever the film was made and 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 we would go and we'd sort of hang out there for a year or so so that's how the sort of film industry kind of came and then I was always in his movies Um, and then um, and then I, I made a film called the Emerald Forest where which I had the lead role in so I had to sleep with my father for 17 years to get the part, but uh, that's definitely not. You shouldn't talk about that. I shouldn't yeah. talk about that. No, I know. Well, it scarred me for a long time. But um, but anyway, so and then that film and that was in the eighties, eighty four, that came out and that was very successful and and it kind of launched my my acting career, um, <clears throat> which which you know didn't go massively well <laughs> I mean I had a lot of success in the 80s and 90s and then and then it kind of all kind of fizzled out a little bit and, and like a lot of actors end up doing their second uh, second profession which is painting and decorating <laughs> and uh, um, so I ended up doing that and I ended up ended up doing that for like 10 years and, and then I ended up painting and decorating to doing people's houses up and and and, and I and then I had I married my wife and we had a couple of kids and and I really thought that that was going to be my life, you know.
2: Painting, decorating. Painting, and decorating, oh.
1: doing people's houses up. And, and
2: but but go, we're, we're going to have to go back a little bit because where did the love of motorcycles come from or yeah. engines or going fast or whatever? Where did that all come from?
1: I don't... I don't um, my father um, wasn't particularly into, into, uh, into, into motorbikes. I think um, he was big into horses. So when I was young, I used to ride a lot of horses, and, and, and I loved that. Um, and then... Um, Barry, there was a guy called um, I was about to say Barry Sheen for some bizarre reason but anyway Actually, can. I can tell you a story about Barry Sheen mm. Did, did, mm. so I, I, I'm sure, like a lot of us in the room, you know, amazing racing driver, uh, racing m- motorcyclist and, and great character and you, 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 know, you spend a lot of time with him um, but uh, a few years ago uh, a few years ago now and I, I remember I, I ended up in this restaurant in Fulham And and we had this big long table, about twelve of us on this long table. And my wife and I came; she was my girlfriend at the time. No, we just got married. And we sat at the end of the table. And on the round table beside us was Barry Sheen, Damon Hill, Murray Walker. um, uh, There was Coltard, you know, the one with the big chin, um, and a couple of others. And I was looking over, and, and there was all these Formula One drivers, but it was Barry Sheen, and I couldn't believe. I was completely having spent my whole life meeting famous film stars and, 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 and all this kind of stuff. No real particular interest, but Barry Sheen, I didn't know what to do. So and anyway, I went off to the bathroom. And when I came back, he was sitting in my, in my chair chatting my wife up. That, that would be Barry Sheen. Which is typically Barry Sheen. And, and, and I remember coming up behind him and all I could hear was he said, he said, Olivia, you're a gorgeous girl. Do you want to come to Australia with me? <laughs> and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, no, no, my wife doesn't want to come with you, but I do. <laughs> and, he, and I swear to God, he looked at me, looked at me up and down like that and he went, Nah. <laughs> And off he went. And there was, it's the only time I've ever been... I can be more proud than, my, than Barry Sheen chatting up my wife. But, mate, I've made you feel better about your new wife. I mean, you'd obviously chosen extremely yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. No, you know. qu- no question. But that was... Um, but it was interesting because, um, you know, when I was a kid in school and, and kids, you know, I'd be leaving to do a movie and come back to school and stuff, and people would... You know, it was a real sort of point of interest and, and stuff like that. And I didn't really... Because it was so normal, because that's what I just grew up in. And I think you just grew up in whatever... You accept whatever it is when you're a kid. but um...
2: Actually, I must just say, ironically, that's how I met Barry Sheen. I was racing at Brands Hatch as an amateur club racer. He was there as a judge for an event called Stars of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And um, he came up to me. I didn't win it. I finished second or something. And he came up to me. And he, said, he said, I actually voted for you, and I really think you should have won it, but actually just wanted to meet my girlfriend. Yeah. It's exact...
1: That sounds about right. We have something in common there. That's all it was about. But... Uh... Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah so I, I suppose that was interesting. And, and um, but, uh, um, bizarrely, um, uh, and I remember um, one of the kids in school was saying, oh, well, you know, asked me who my godfather was. And I had, I, I didn't really understand. Anyway, I said, well, a, a guy called um, Lee Marvin is my godfather. I didn't think that. They... He just thought you were starving. Exactly. And that's really how my father ended up in America. Really was was because Lee they Marvin, clearly worked together. Yeah, and they worked together. They they made a film called um, uh, Leo, um, uh, uh, Point Blank. I don't know if anyone saw that. It was a fantastic film, and um, uh, and so and the Lee Marvin had seen one of my dad's movies. It's a film called um, Catch Us If You Can with the Dave Clark Five. All right, the yeah. Dave Clark Five. Yeah. Well, by the time he made the movie with the Dave Clark Five, they were um, they were out of favour, so the film didn't do very well. But um, but anyway, so, but Lee Marvin had seen it and, and said, "I want you to make my next movie." They went to the states, and um, and he, uh, they made the movie, and the film was massively successful, and um, and that's how sort of Dad's career launched. But but Lee was he was quite a, he was quite a character, and and he um, he was a big drinker as well. He'd been he was a U.S. Marine. I don't know if anybody knew, that, but he fought in the South Pacific. And, oh, really? And, um, and he lost his whole battalion to a to a, a they, they were ambushed and everybody, was, everybody was, was killed except for him and this other guy, and he was shot in the ass. Uh, he didn't tell anybody that because, you know, it, it, being shot in the ass represents you potentially being running away. Yeah. So, um, and being a Marine, that's not what you really want to. Anyway, his friend went back, picked him up, and carried him out. And anyway, so now that's probably why he was a big drinker. Mm. But I remember this one particular story about uh he was in um they'd just done point blank it was a massive success and they were in malibu um on the pch on malibu pier there was a famous restaurant in the in the 60s there and um and lee gotten really drunk and they came out of the restaurant and with my dad and my mum and my two older sisters and and they would walk to the to the uh to the car park to the car and dad said look give me a your keys you're, you're drunk you're not driving and um uh, and anyway, they started this fight in the car park, and, and they were tussling, and Dan managed to grab the keys off Lee Marvin, and he ran to the car, and he, put him, he got in the driver's side, wound up the window and locked the door, and Lee was pounding on the, on the door, and my sisters were diving into the car on the other side, and he, he, he wouldn't get in the car. So eventually, he, 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 um, he climbed up onto the roof of the car, and he wouldn't get off the roof of the car, and so my father thought, oh. Anyway, so he thought, well, it's only a mile down the road. <laughs> I'll just drive down. So anyway, so he, he carries drives along. He gets onto the PCH, which is one of the busiest roads in, in Los Angeles. And, and he's driving up the road. And just as he's driving up the road, this police motorbike comes up the other way. And of course, the police motorbike sees this. The lights come on, comes on, and he pulls dad over. <clears throat> and you, know, you can imagine that now all of Lee's attention is on. Hum- this policeman who's walking up to him and he's saying all the most terrible words you can possibly imagine. This and The policeman's just ignoring him and goes up to the driver's side and he taps on my dad's window and, and dad rolls down the window thinking, oh, fucking hell, here we go. And the, and the policeman leans in and he goes, he says, sir, do you realize that Lee Marvin is on the roof of your car? <laughs> and my father says, oh, yes, I, I, I do know that. And he goes, okay, that's fine, sir. Have a nice evening. Wow. And off he went, and Lee Marvin's going, you motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that was my so god. We all need to get a Lee Marvin on our roof, don't we? <clears throat> no, he was a shit godfather, but um, <laughs> but a really nice man.
2: Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, back to mo- <clears throat> Excuse me,
1: back to motorbikes. Yeah.
2: Where, <clears throat> where did it all start?
1: <clears throat> so, so yeah. So the motorbike started. Uh, So, I was riding horses and stuff, and I kept hearing this little, um, there was a guy called Jason Connery, um, who's a great old friend of mine, who's Sean Connery's son. Um, We're we're not name-dropping at all tonight. (laughs) (coughs) Well, you know, that's what happens when you have a dad like that. um, And dad and Sean Connery made a movie together um, called Zardos. And if you Google it at home, Sean's um, outfit is basically this kind of red nappy that he wears. It's a pretty out there movie. Anyway, Jason and I got on really well. There was a little Honda monkey bike in the garage um, of Dad's house that he was keeping for someone. Jason and I got it out and we started it and rode it around. That was sort of one of the first times we rode a bike. Um, And then I I kept hearing a two-stroke bike um, in the village and I eventually found this guy called Tommy Washford. And he had a Mako 400, which at the time the Mako was was the... It was the bit of a monster, actually, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, with the mm. beautiful cylinder head with mm. big fins. Mm. I don't know if you remember. It used to kick like a bastard when you tried to start it. Yeah, it was it was brutal. Mm. And and uh, um, and anyway, so I finally and I finally convinced him to give me a go. So he started the bike, he put me on the bike because I, I was not quite tall enough to fit the pedals. And in first gear, I just went around this field and fell off. <laughs> and, and that was it. And I was convinced.
2: Been doing it ever since. And ever
1: since falling <laughs> off, yeah. But uh, and that, that's kind of how it started, and and and, um, uh, and then in between the movies and, and traveling around the world, I um, I rode motorbikes, and my acting career kind of peaked in the late '80s, and and, um, and I was traveling all over the world. It was brilliant. I was getting movies, and um, m- but my problem really was that I was uh, I was choosing the movies for the locations around right. the world rather. Then the, so someone said, oh, there's a movie going on in Africa. And I went, right, I'm gone. I'm out there. And then I'd read the script on the plane and think, "This is
0: shit. <laughs> oh. but,
1: um, but the location was amazing. You know? And so my career sort of slowly started. to. I, I think you way. need to blame
2: the manager, your agent somewhere.
1: My dad. Oh, well, yeah. right,
2: okay. It's very difficult and, then.
1: Um, so, and, and so my career kind of sort of started to fizzle out. And that's when I started doing this sort of 10 years of painting and decorating. And in between those 10 years, I would, I would make the odd movie. And, and, and that's kind of
2: how I met Ewan. I was about to say, I, I don't know when you first met Ewan, but uh, Ewan, But I met you first, and I think it was around late 90s, 2000 time. Yeah. And Ewan's brother, Colin, uh, would have been in the RAF. I think he
1: was a Red Arrows pilot, wasn't he? He was, um, yeah, he was He's Tornadoes. On, tornadoes, but I'm sure he had a spell in Red Arrows. P- possibly, yeah. He was definitely a display team he had. And yeah. he, was a, he was a squadron leader during the Gulf War. Right, and um, I I think he, like a lot of people, he became um, uh, confused about about being there. Right, and so that that was one of the reasons why he left.
2: Well, anyway, uh, and I have a brief chat to you early, which you can just about remember, I think. But uh, he started up a business, or tried to start up a business, up in Scotland, and we all met in Edinburgh, first time I ever met you. And he was going to have a company. Renting BMW motorcycles for people to tour around Scotland and he was going to take them around and everything else and we all went for a ride and I don't think you'd ridden a great deal of road riding at that point, had you? That was fairly on in your career because yeah. I remember following you. Um, <laughs> 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 but uh, Colin was there and there was a guy called John Reynolds, a British superbike champion and everything else. And we all rode up around Scotland and the press came along and this is, it. this is kind of the first time I met you. But from there on in... Charlie Borman just became this person, along with you in as well, just rode up and down the world, round it, inside, outside, and everything else. So there was obviously clearly something that attracted you to that, unless it was just the fact you didn't like painting and decorating.
1: <laughs> that was a big thing. Well, I think um, you and I met on a, on a film called The Serpent's Kiss, um, and uh, it, was, it was Ewan McGregor, Pete Bottle uh Greta Scacci, Richard E. Grant, and, and myself and and i thought oh i'm 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 back the oh, movies you know this is my big comeback anyway we made the films great fun you and i became great friends i remember the first conversation i had with him i knew he he owned a, a motor goods california and um we met in this pub as you do in Ireland, with the crew and we started chatting about motorbikes and 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 here we are today and i was i was talking to him this afternoon and we were talking about motorbikes i just got a new bike and. We were talking about it, and um, uh, and um, and the film turned out to be really shit. So that was another, you know, golden opportunity missed. Um, I think it was it was so good that it went straight to DVD and then straight to the bin. I don't think oh. it even made. I don't think it ever got in cinematic release. But, um, uh, but but a friendship kind of built from there, as, and, and we just stayed friends. I think when you make movies and travel around the world, you, you make very intense friendships while you're making the movie, and then you, a bit like, I suppose, motorcycle racing teams, you make intense, mm. intense friendships, and then you move on to the next team or the next movie, and you, 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 know, you don't necessarily move on with those, with those people. And, and, and so with you and I, somehow we just managed, we just ended up um, seeing each of, of more and more of each other. Doing stuff like with Colin, we used to go and do track days and anything with motorbikes. We yeah, Hel- yeah, We helped run a, a motorbike race team up for for a while. We we had um, David Jeffries and Matt Llewellyn. Okay, yeah. And um, we had the British Superstock Series, and and, um, and we came first and second in the British Superstock Series. But when they did the pit lane walkabouts, when you had to sign, um, you know, all the riders would sign their their autographs. We always had the biggest pull of people, because our, um, our sponsor was Page3.com. Oh, right, so okay. We were handing out... Um, uh, Page3 uh, girls. Page3 um, posters, mm. and so, anyway, everyone kept coming to that. And, and so we did all, all of that together, you know, is what we and did. And whose
2: idea was it to do the first trip, then? Long Way Down was the first one.
1: Long Way Round. Long Way Round, right. First one. How um, did that come about? Whose uh, idea was that? Well, I, th- I think it came by that, that you know, you and I um, uh, started... Uh, talking about doing it, you know, we go off for weekends and then we thought it'd be nice to do a longer journey. And, and then we first sort of spoke about going from London down to south of Spain and meeting our, our wives and family down there hmm. for a holiday and then maybe riding back. Okay. Yeah, I remember one day, uh, he, Ewan rang me up and he said, Charlie, look, I've got this great idea. I think you should come to the house. So I went over to the house with Ollie and we had dinner and he had this map of the world um, on the table. And he said, look, he said, forget Spain. He said, "Ev, um, his wife, first wife, was was um, had was brought up in China. He said, why 'Why don't we ride to China?'" And um, and I thought, "Oh, that's a good idea." And uh, and then I remember my wife saying, "Well, well how long is how long is that going to be?" And 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 we said, "I don't know about I don't know about three and a half months." And oh no, four and a half months we said. And 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 both of them said, oh, "Okay." Wow. <laughs> so it was like, mm, I don't want to get rid of us." Um, and, and, then, um, and then we met this amazing guy um, who had a website called Millennium Ride, and he'd done the Road of Bones, which is that last bit of road you can do in Russia. Okay. And it's the last, um, to get to Magadan is the kind of last, most northerly last place you can go. And, and so instead of going to China, we ended up going to Magadan. We thought, well, if we get to Magadan, we may as well just hop over to Alaska and carry on to New York. So. That's kind of, it was a bit like that, really. And the funding? And, well, uh, it was, uh, so I, I didn't have any money because I was painting and decorating. Ewan had just, had just done Star Wars, so he was minted. Mm. But then, you know, being Scottish, I wasn't going to get any of that. So uh, we had to think of another way. And um, uh, so we started sort of having a look around, and, 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 um, uh, and someone, a friend of ours, mentioned about a book. It would, you know, two friends traveling around the world, not really knowing what to do or where they were going, kind of with the vague idea, would make a really good book. So the book idea came quite quite quickly, and, and because of Ewan's name, you know, you know we, we we managed to sort of get, get that. But then, but then, so we got this kind of book deal, but then both, I said to Ewan, Jesus, I'm, I'm dyslexic, I can't write. And Ewan goes, well, I'm dyslexic, I can't write. And so we thought, well, how are we going to, we got the money, how are we going to make this this book anyway so came up with this idea of of of, um uh doing like video diaries right we would you know experience the day do the video diaries, film a little bit and then what we do we found this this great guy who would who would sit with us and and we would work work it out together Mm -hmm. and 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 stuff and and he did a brilliant job of because it's difficult when you're sharing the book yeah you each chapter or whoever's talking about the chapter you know, it has to have a different... You have to feel the different voice. So he did a brilliant job of that. So, so we thought we'd do that. And then we thought, oh, God, well, if we're, if we're filming it and doing all this kind of stuff, we may as well... Why don't we just film it and make just cut something together? And we thought making a TV show would be, would be really easy because you and McGregor's in it. And anyway, so I remember we went to these pitches and said, well, this is what we're doing, but we don't really know what's going to happen or really where we're going. And stuff. and you could see the TV people going, glazing over going, well, that's a fucking interesting TV show, isn't it? <laughs> you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's going to happen, you're not sure if you'll make it, and all this kind of stuff. So it didn't make a TV thing really well. Um, and uh, so we were really struggling to, to get the TV people on board. So Ewan was making another Star Wars movie in Australia. So we flew out to Australia, and then we went for a weekend, Ewan and I rented some bikes, and we did like a little trailer, a little teaser of what it would be like. And, um, and, we th- and while we were out there, we thought we'd, we'd approach one of the channels in, in, in Australia. So we, I think it was channel eight or channel 10, can't remember. Anyway, we sat down, Ewan was working, so it was just myself and Russ and Dave, the two producers. And, uh, um, and we pitched the story to them about two guys going around the world, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and we gave him the pitch, and, and we said, what do you think? And he goes, do you want me to tell you what I really think? And we said, yes, we really want to know. And he goes, I think two wankers riding around the world. That's what I think. And so that was that. So, but, but they changed yeah, the name anyway, of it. Anyway, a year and a half later, we sold it to them for a fortune. Really? <laughs> yeah. Honestly. But anyway, but, but, but so, so the TV thing didn't, didn't come very easily, and it only came at the last minute. Um, anyway, we went off and, and sort of blindly went off not really knowing what, what we were doing.
2: It all worked, though. The book worked extremely well, and, the, and, yeah. the, and I guess the next journey became much easier.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, it's funny with the, with the television world and getting commissions. It's, it's, even though you've done something that, that's successful, it still doesn't guarantee um, uh, getting another, another, another show. And, and you get all these people who are, who are commissioners, and, and they, they change all the time. So maybe one commissioner who did mm. Long Way Round was basically, so by the time we went back to the same people for a Long Way Down, they'd moved on and, 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 and that person wasn't particularly interested because that was the work of the other guy and he didn't want anything to do with sure. the work of the other guy. So he, they said, no, we went off to the BBC. Luckily they said yes. So it's, it's, it's a real um, thing, but, but, but that, doing that TV show, I mean, I remember um, um, leaving London um, with Ewan, and we had the production, and we had just about enough money to do it, and we were still waiting to try and get Ma- more mainly money. Ewan's money. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, mainly, mainly Ewan's. You know, being Scottish, he was pretty fair with it. Yeah. Uh, but um, and I remember we, we we were leaving I remember I had I had like four grand in the bank, and that was all I had left, and uh, a wife and two children and a mortgage and left you were behind. Going away for four, three months, four and, half, four and a half months, traveling around the world, and and so by, by the time we came round and. And it took a long time for the show to come out and it took a long time for it to gain momentum. It, it wasn't a, a straightaway mm. success. Um, you know, and all that time I was you know, hoping that... But, but it, it did. And once the film came out and caught, caught people's imagination, uh, you know, it, that changed my life completely. I, it, it totally changed everything. I went off and uh, did the Dakar Rally after that, and, and then Long Way Down, and then a whole, I don't know, seven or eight other TV shows.
2: I, I was going to come to that. Now, I can understand Long Way Down, Long Way Round, riding bikes, and you've got a crew with you, but the Paris Dakar is pretty big ballsy
1: stuff, isn't it? I, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, they, uh, I suppose if you want the ultimate off-road experience, you yeah. do the Dakar Rally. If you want the ultimate road, uh, road racing, you would do the TT. TT. Yeah. And I think both of them are as are as dangerous as each other really, in different ways but, but both yeah. very dangerous. You know, the Dakar rally, they you know, when you when you know when someone tells you a story they elaborate on the story and and, 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 and it's it's not as dangerous as it as it sounds. Whereas when people tell you stories about the Dakar rally, you know, they're, they're usually dumbing the story down to, right. well, it's not that bad, don't worry <laughs> and, um, and they say that, I think, is it an average 3.8 people die a year?
2: Is that right? Like, yeah, well, you, we're talking TT again, Simpli- yeah, Like yeah, you the same of type thing. of thing. I guess the only thing um, for TT do not get lost, but
1: yeah. But, um, oh yeah, with Mark Thatcher got lost. I think that was supposed to, that was a publicity stunt, apparently. But anyway, um, and so. Doing the Dakar Rally, so so, but I thought I could ride a motorbike. I was about road. to
2: say, how how ready were you when you got there? I mean, realistically, you you kind of most of the guys that do it are professional riders, yeah. I guess.
1: Well, uh, the Dakar Rally, a bit like the TT, it's not you. You have that that first sort of 50 riders who are professional and, and race for KTM or Yamaha. You know, they're professional riders. Um, and then the rest of the people are just anybody's. And I think that's what makes the Dakar Rally so interesting is that, is that anybody can do it um, and, and as long as you sort of, quali- it's, it's harder and harder now to do it because it's so popular.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, um, but when I did it, you know, I thought I could ride off road. Right. And, and um, I was talking to, to someone here tonight who um, did the Welsh. I think he, he finished it 14 years in a row or something. Yeah, and, and, and John. John, yes, John. And, 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 uh, and if, you, if, you can, if you could um, finish a, the two-day enduro, which is really hard, um, and you can finish that competently, um, there, there's nothing in the Dakar Rally that is harder. Okay. But the problem with the Dakar Rally is that it's, instead of two days, it's 16 days, yeah. and it's 800 kilometers a day, more or less, and you have to navigate yourself. And, and normally when you're all riding, because you're all more or less... The same speed, you never really come across anybody. Sure. And and so you so you have to do all the navigation, by yourself. and all you get is you get little little rolled piece of paper that rolls up and it says a kilometer one six five, enter old riverbed treble danger, um, on exit of, of, of riverbed compass bearing one one six and that's that's it really. And For a dyslexic person, that's that's a nightmare. <laughs> I had I had to write left and right on my hands to, so that when I looked down, I could, I could easily see which way I was going, um, and uh, anyway, it didn't help, I crashed on day five, I <laughs> oh, broke my hands, and, um, and that was, yeah, oh god, that was just a nightmare, I made this TV show, and convinced everybody, we spent fortune, and then day five out of 16, oh, it, it, I crashed. It was day five? Day it five, gotcha. yeah, right. and it was a silly little crash, but um, uh but I remember, I remember down at this little riverbed, and I think most people who crash on the Dakar Rally on motorbikes, anyway, are probably looking at, at, their, at where they're going, yeah. you know, um, yeah. on the instructions, and, right. and because you have to go flat out all the time, and then you have to adjust your your, your your mileometer on your motorbike because it runs faster or slower than the actual mileage on the on the on the roadbook. It's and you're using the roadbook. You're using big like a big tree or something as a mark. So that's definitely kilometer 662 or whatever. So you'd have to then calibrate your vehicle to mm. that. So it was a nightmare. Mm. Anyway, I remember falling off and, and I'm thinking, shit. I said, you know,
2: it was gonna, it to, what am
1: I going to do with the TV show? <laughs> well, I crashed and then I got up and, and then I, I realized with this hand, I was trying to push the bike off off me. And I was on the to where cars and trucks all come at the same time. So I was panicking to, get, to, to try and get the bike off me, so I wouldn't get run over. Um, and luckily, my teammate was behind me, which had never happened in the five days. And he stopped at the top with his bike and came down. And I was trying to push the bike off. And my this hand was crunching like a like a like a crisp packet. You know when you crunch a crisp packet, it was like I was thinking, "Oh, that's not good." And I'm thinking, I'm trying to panic and thinking, "Oh my god." I've, we've spent all the money and if I can't ride we're going to have to give it all back and there isn't any to give back and, and, and so in, anyway he, my teammate came down, helped me up and got me back on the bike and he said, go on, go China. I was going, my hand really hurts he goes, no, 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 just go so I could move these two fingers so I kind of was able to ride and then as I got going I, I realised that my thumb was just flopping around <laughs> down here and I'm looking, I'm thinking this I'm thinking, shit, that's two hands that's that's really not a good idea. And, and I remember going and I remember banging the, the, the handlebar and it popped it back into place. And I thought, if I get to the end of the day, I can, they have the, you know they have 56 doctors and nurses, 10 helicopters, 20 aircraft. They, they can do operations in the middle. I've seen one guy the day before come in with something wrong with his hand on his left hand, and they put a cast on it, and they have a handlebar in the medic tent, and you can hold the handlebar while the cast goes hard. Mm. So that you can pull it off and you can go racing. And I thought, oh, I'll just do that, you know, no problem at all. So I get back in the bike and I end up having I still still had like 450 kilometers to ride or something. So I, I did that, got to the end of the day, and I could see my hands were all swollen, but I didn't want to take the gloves off. Because once you take the gloves off, you mm. never get them back mm-hmm. on. Anyway, I went to the doctors and he cut the gloves off. And 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 Simon Pavy was with me, and the doctor went, oof. And Simon went, Oh my god, and he got up and walked off. <laughs> and I was left there with these two massive hands. And this French doctor, he says, he says, Charlie, he says, Charlie, you're booking both your hands. He said, This is impossible for you to do the Dakar rally. I'm not even sure if you're gonna be able to wipe your own ass. <laughs> that's
2: why Simon ran off.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, like when he was wrong, I could get a baby right round this finger and I could do it myself. <laughs> too much, so that's too much, too much. But um but then I was sitting there at the end of the evening of the day five with two casts on my hands, just thinking, are we going to make a TV show? <laughs> and we had two writers, Simon and Pavy, and, and Matt Hall were, were still in, in, in it. So then I sort of became, this, I suppose, the, the, the team captain or whatever. And, um, and then we started filming all the, uh, the insides and outs of it. And it turned out, it turned out OK. Good. Um, and it's a TV show called Race to Dakar, which is on Amazon, if you want to go and see it. Sign up now.
2: Um, hospitals, doctors. Now, you have had some hospital trips as well, yeah. unfortunately. Um, yeah. I said it needed big balls to do the Dakar, but you did have an issue.
1: I, uh, yeah, I've smashed myself up. Um, funny, all my life I've, I've ridden motorbikes, and you, know, you ride dirt bikes and stuff, and you fall off and stuff, and you break bits and pieces, but, but nothing much. Lots of ribs and fingers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, anyway, after A Long Way Down... Um, going through Africa, uh, I started doing these motorcycle tours um, from Cape Town to Victoria Falls and then back down again and, um, and taking people into Africa because, you know, people always think that Africa, you know, when you say, I'm going to, I'm going to if something happened in Cape Town, people go, oh, well, that's Africa. You know, the whole place is dangerous. But it's a massive continent and North Africa and Southern Africa are so different and, and such an incredible part of the world. So I kind of wanted to get people to come and see that it's safe and that's not what people think it is. Mm, I go every year, seriously. I, I, I love the place. And, and um, anyway, so we do these tours and, uh, oh no, this, that was the second crash. The first crash was I was working for Triumph in Portugal and um, launching the new Triumph uh, uh, Tiger, you know, their adventure bike. Which and, you did. Uh, and instead of, uh, instead of launching, I launched it into a wall and uh, a car clipped me, it just suddenly turned left. And clipped me, and I hit a wall, and I destroyed my legs. And I think it took two years and seventeen operations to walk again. Um, and uh, and then I just started to ride again, and 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 um, uh, and I finally went back to Africa to to do another another trip. And then I was down in the Drakensberg Mountains in in South Africa, and and then I, I woke up in hospital, and and I'd I'd broken my pelvis, I'd snapped my forearm back and everything came out of my arm. And it had to be rebuilt. And broke my, my collar had a massive head injury with brain swell and brain bleeds. And, and, I, and if anything, it was worse than the, than the first crash. The legs. And my wife was really fucked off about the whole thing. <laughs> she just was not happy. She had to fly down to South Africa to a place called Bloemfontein, which actually ended up being the second best hospital in Southern Africa. But the first hospital I went to with Billy Ward took me to the first hospital. So I crashed in the middle of nowhere. I had to be strapped onto a a door and put onto the back of a pickup truck and driven five hours out of the thing. And I was kind of out of it, but I'd, I'd broken every single rib down the left side and punctured my lung as well. And so I wasn't breathing well. Anyway, so they put me into the first hospital, and I'm lying there with this collapsed side here, not breathing very well. And, and Billy said, what do you think? He goes, no, I think you'll, I think you'll be OK. <laughs> and he said, right. And he organized a, an ambulance to take me to another hospital. And so um, anyway, I spent a long time there.
2: What caused that crash? You, you don't know. I don't,
1: there was an elephant. Um, In the and, room? Well, on the road, side of the road. And uh, I was hiding behind a tree. And I only saw it because <laughs> it's toenails. It's, its toenails were painted cherry red, and I just saw this flash of cherry red, and, and this elephant stepped out in front of me. The, and, sorry, the elephant had cherry red toenails. Toenail, yeah, painted toenails. Toenails. I have no idea. Right. I don't know. I woke up in hospital you know, 24 hours later, and I still to this day have no idea. Um, the Luckily, was, um, we was we, Billy following you, or then? Well, he, he was ahead. I was actually, I was at, actually behind. There was all the riders were in front. I. Um, we have two support vehicles, and we have a, a paramedic that comes with us. And, um, uh, and we were in this place where there was lots of tracks everywhere, and the, and the paramedic's GPS had stopped working. So I was leading them out, and um, so I'd get to a junction, they'd catch up, and I'd tear off. And then, and then they came over Barva Hill, and they just said they just found me lying on the thing. My my arm was bent backwards, and. Uh, My helmet had moved up, and and I was choking. I'd gone blue in the face, and they, um, yeah, they said it was a real quite touching. Right. So anyway, Um, still riding motorbikes.
2: Still riding motorbikes, and and over the years, when I say motorbikes, you've been you've been associated with a number of different manufacturers. I think where would you start with? Was it Triumphs or BMW? BMW to start with. Start with BMW. But I
1: mean, it was funny when we went to choose our motorbikes. um, We we started with. BMW GS 1150s, the big old ones with the big, huge petrol tank and really heavy. Um, and I wanted to go with the KTMs. Mm. I wanted their new adventure bike. This is back in 2004. Right. And uh, um, and eventually, KTM rang us up and said, well, we're not, we don't think you'll make it, so we, we don't want to be part of it. And we, we kind of I was very upset about it, and we both were. And um, I said, you know, it's not nothing to do with whether you... Think we can or can't make it it, it's it's that's up to us but your bikes Mm. should be able to do the trip anyway so we didn't so we went with the bmw's which was probably the better choice at the time anyway um and um so we worked with bmw for a long time on long way up and bmw did the dakar rally with me Mm -hmm. um and then we did long way down um and then um uh and then on the last long way we we um a long way up i don't know has anyone seen long way up yeah, and and it's the on Apple TV Plus you can watch it there and if you subscribe you get the first month free and then you watch it and all the other shows and then you sack it off <laughs> so that's the way to do it um, but, but we'd done Long Way Round and Long Way Down um, um, on petrol bikes and, and when we decided, because it was like a 12 year break and when we decided to do Long Way Up and had moved to the States I was over here You know, we kind of sort of lost um, momentum, lost momentum and lost, lost connection with each other yeah. in many ways. We were sort of still chatting away, but we were just living parallel lives. And then when I had the big crash in Portugal when I broke my legs, um, I think it was my wife or someone rang him up and just said, Look, just so you know, um, you know, that's done that. And he was just about to get on his motorbike to go to work. And he hung up and he. Thought no, I don't think I'll take the motorbike today. <laughs> and he went, and then he went back to get his car keys. And he thought, no, 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 no. Charlie would be furious if, if I, uh, if I got in the car. So he got on the motorbike and went off. But but we, we kind of sort of drifted apart, I suppose, for a long time. And then um, when I had this this next ex- accident, that's when we sort of reconnected. And I was stuck in London um, recuperating, and you only come over to make some movie over here. And then he ended up. Um, staying in our house for a couple of months mm-hmm. while he was making the film. And he was with Mary, his second wife now at, at the time. They were sort of hiding out in our, in our house because it was a new relationship and he'd just left his wife. Um, so uh, and we kind of reconnected. And then, then we started thinking about doing another one. And we thought, what would we, what would we do this time? What would make it different? And and because of the way the world is going and and stuff like that and the electric of it all, uh, we decided to go with electric motorbikes, but had no idea how difficult it was going to be. Yeah, it was... was, And uh, Harley just launched their Livewire, wasn't it? Harley just launched their Livewire. And actually, fact, it was interesting, because when we did it, it, we were looking for bikes in 2018, 19, we were looking for bikes, and and we rang up all the manufacturers and, and none of them had an electric motorbike, and Harley Davidson. I mean, you would, who would imagine Harley Davidson? Mm, yeah. And their their, their live wire is still, even though it's six or seven years old, it's still probably one of the best electric bikes on the market. And um, and they were really the only ones. And they they then so they got this sort of sports bike, and we rang them up and said, "Would you make it into an adventure bike for us?" And and so and they were just about to launch the Pan America, their petrol adventure bike. So they took loads of bits off that, stuck it on the electric bike, and well, off we went. went. But I mean, when you when and I got down to the bottom of Argentina, we went from Argentina to Los Angeles, um, and the whole of S- South America and Central America and Mexico, there were no fast chargers. And uh, so we just did something like 150 miles a day, and then we'd have to charge the bikes for 11 hours a day in the evenings. And, and it, was, it was tough. And the when it was super cold, the batteries didn't work as well. And we had to really learn. Um, and we had this terrible, has, uh, does anyone drive an electric vehicle here? No one. Oh, one person. <laughs> but, but people talk about, um, you know, the uh, range anxiety syndrome, mm-hmm. where people are fearful, I'm not gonna get electric, I'm not gonna buy an electric car because it'll only do 300 mile range. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, once a year, I'll, I'll drive to Cornwall and I need, to be sure. able to drive to Cornwall. But the rest of the time, you're doing 30, 40 miles a day, you know, which is adequate. So you can spend a week and a half, two weeks with your 300-mile car mm. uh, that costs you, cost you twenty to fill. So we had to get over that whole kind of negativity of, of owning an electric vehicle. And I have to say, I, I, since we did Long Way Up, I've really enjoyed... Um, I really enjoy... The electric of all. And people talk about range anxiety as if it's this new thing. You know, that, that, that's something that's new. But, but really when, when people went from horse and cart to, to, to cars or petrol, you know, people had terrible range anxiety then because there were no petrol stations. Mm, mm. You know, if you left your house, you could fill it up and go to town. But the only place you could buy petrol back then uh, was in a pharmacy. Mm. And, and that's if the pharmacy had petrol. So, so people really struggled with with that whole range anxiety so so it's something that's been around for a very long time sure but sure. now petrol stations are everywhere so.
2: yeah uh, but motorcycles that generally don't go very far on a tank full anywhere you have to stop from that point of view yeah and, and
1: these days you know you can get 250 kilowatt charges which are just coming out which means you could i suppose to put it into perspective you could fill your tesla up in 10 minutes really Yeah, you know, this is the new kind of wave of it's only going to get better and faster yes.
2: So, what's next on the agenda then?
1: Um, up, up, down, in, out. Yeah. Well, it's funny, I think when you do these long journeys, um, and when you get to the end of a, of a long journey, you, you start to get very excited about getting to the end and seeing your family and going home and not moving every day for three and a half months. Um, and uh, but the same, same. The other half of you doesn't really want to stop. And if someone said, look, look, just turn around and we'll go back down again, you'd go, okay. <laughs> and I and, and, and think in a bit of a way to sort of, to sort of help with, with the stopping of it is you start to talk about doing another one. And so that by the time you've finished, you think, oh, okay, I can finish because we're going to do the next one. So, so for sure, you and I have spoken about doing maybe Long Way Scandinavia. I'd love to do an, a London to London again, but, but, but going around all the Scandinavia through Poland... And if Ukraine, if the war stopped, I'd, we'd love to go through Ukraine. A long way round, we did a lot of work with um, UNICEF. And we okay. saw a couple of projects with UNICEF in, in Ukraine. So it'd be lovely to go back and see how we could help and what and highlight the stories that are going on in Ukraine since the war. So so uh, so sure. hopefully Putin will fuck off and, and yeah. <laughs>
2: And well, just write in the notes and what yeah. you want to do. Look, I want to make a TV show
1: yeah. next year. Can you um, be finished? Would you mind? We please? Please? can have a, a run through, if that's all so, right. So we spoke of it. And then I think the, the, the other one we'd love to do is Long Way Down Under. So to okay. go from you know, Europe to, to Australia, we'd love to do. Mm. That would be a lovely,
2: lovely thing to do, wouldn't it? Thanks.
1: Yeah. And I think Long Way Scandinavia, I think we'd be gone super techie. I'd love to go super old and uh, get an old Indian or... An old triumph, or an old, you know, maybe get a, um, you know, a uh, uh, a Vincent Black Shadow or something. But I guess someone would lend me a Vincent. That'd yeah, be great I'm, I'm the sure. but,
2: but I'm thinking, I don't know, but we've got commercial hats on. You do need, realistically, the money from the manufacturer. You need the support, don't you? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you need a bit of a bit of everything, really. I mean, it, 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 making a TV show is no different to. To working in whatever industry you work at you come up with an idea you go to your boss or you go to a financer or a bank or you go to a, a, a money lender and you say look this is the idea and you and you pitch it and you say whatever bullshit you mm. say to get the money mm. and then you get the money and then you uh, hopefully you can do it and hopefully it's successful mm. and so the, the tv world is is very similar to that and so but, but you do, you need the support of, of, of the, yeah, the manufacturers. You need money. You need money from sponsors, from the TV, from... You know, money's hard to come by these days. And things have changed a lot since Amazon and, and uh, Netflix and, and Apple and stuff, who, you know, Apple bought our TV show, but they bought it globally. All right. So, so it goes on their platform globally. Yeah. Whereas in the old days, you would, you would sell it to individual countries sure. around sure. the world, and you, that, you would take... You would take up to five or six years to... to and, and draw money
2: in from countries. each one of them. Yeah,
1: and, draw, and it takes a long time, mm. and that's your profit. Mm. Mm. So, <clears throat> so it's quite hard. Mm. But yeah, no, I know, I'm
2: quite sure it is. Um, other than if you're going to do that, I mean, let's be realistic, you're getting, we're all getting slightly older, me probably more than most, but there will come a point when you probably don't want to get on and go down, up and down the world. Yeah. Ooh. Back in the film industry?
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I stopped acting really because of my dyslexia, and I, I really. Um, it must be hard with scripts. It's like a terrible, I, I, and learning lines is just is just horrendous. I just can't do it. I get so stressed out and um, and, and so like And then I remember doing the film with Ewan, and I'd spend a couple of weeks learning some of the lines and stuff. And then Ewan would you know had read the script a few times, but hadn't learned the dialogue, he'd just learn it while we're having makeup. It's annoying, isn't it? I know, you know people
2: like it myself. Photographic
1: memory, and that was it. Mm. And, it and, uh, and I'd been totally stressed out by the whole thing. So for me, I stopped acting. I love acting. But for me, I stopped because it was just uh, it was too much hard work. You have an involvement, though, don't you, with the bike shed? Yeah, I, I don't know if anybody knows uh, the bike shed up in Shoreditch. I do. We have a—it's a really nice place. Yeah, it's great, great it's a, place. It's a—it's <clears throat> a big restaurant, um, apparel, apparel place, a barber shop, a tattoo parlor. Uh, uh, the whole thing is a whole kind of lifestyle thing, and it, it does well. We've just opened the one up in Los Angeles as well. Oh, really? So, so the one in London is ten thousand square feet, um, and the one in LA is thirty-seven thousand square feet. Oh, wow! And it's huge. And and, and that's the, franchised, is it? As such? No, no. We, we we Dutch and Vicky are the ones who. Um, Nicholas Cowell, Simon Cowell's brother and myself, um, were trying to start something like The Bike Shed together. And, but I was always traveling and, and never had the time. And we'd get the momentum going, but it would fall apart. And then we bumped into Dutch, who was doing The Bike Shed exhibitions, these bike shows, yeah. which were amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, we convinced him to do it for us. So, so yeah, so the next one's in, 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 uh, in Houston, Texas. And then we've got a couple more lined up for America and then over here in Europe. There's there's no
2: question that, that, I mean, I've seen a bit, lots of changes in motorcycling over the periods. When you go back to the Ace Cafe, it was kind of mods and rockers, or mainly rockers, I guess, and it's moved on. But motorcycles are still pretty cool. I mean, Indian have just opened a lovely shop, haven't they? I don't know if you know. Yeah,
1: up in town. Yeah, up in yeah, town, yeah. No, I mean, and
2: it's and uh, you've got uh, the Crazy Horse guy. Well, I think it's his, his shop. But there's no question about it that you see a lot of motorcycles in, in TV
1: shows and in ads and everything else. There. I think so. I think there's, there's a, there's a room cool. rem- it's like having a bit of a revival. I think. Um, there's a guy called Dare Jennings who used to own a a, a company called um, Mambo, and they used to do surf clothes, and it was Quicksilver, Rip Curl, and Mambo. Mam- and then he sold that, and then he started a, a company called Deus Ex Machina, right. um, or Deus, and he would to oh, yeah. do these yeah. these uh, and and Deus Ex Machina means God is in the machine.
2: I always thought it was, was Deus, it? but it's Deus. Deus,
1: yeah. And, but it means God is in the machine. And, and so he, he kind of revived that whole scene that was going on in the 60s and 70s in California. You know, if the surf wasn't good, you'd be up in the California mountains riding motorbikes, says and Triumphs. And, but they had all that surfer clothes that they were wearing. And so he revived that. And, and the bike shed and that scene is, is you know, people get a, a cheap bike and, you know, do it up. Yeah. And that's bringing... That the young back into sure, sure. motorcycle riding, which is which is really important because it's an aging, um, it's an aging uh, yeah. sport. Really,
2: sure. yeah, it's kind of cafe racer type look-alikes, yeah. so and they're is not what, expensive, are What the are
1: doing, and sure, yeah, and you pick up an you know um, an old bike, and, yeah. and sure. Do it 250 up. sure, two fifty
2: Honda or something, and then do it all up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, your road bike at the moment? Oh, it's got to be Harley, I guess, isn't it? Well, I have are a you a Harley bit like me? You ride whatever you're given.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thought of buying something is so I know. archaic. Have, have you seen the really? price of them? I know, and when they get dirty, I just hand it back and I get another one. Uh, no, I, I have a bit of a collection of bikes, like I'm sure that most people do. Um, uh,
2: but, but I do understand, and, and a good friend of mine, and probably yours, Dave Dew, was visiting you recently, and you were so happy to have a garage.
1: Yeah, I've just moved. We moved from London, and for the last sort of 30 years, I, 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 I never had a a garage, and, and, I, uh, and then I finally convinced my wife to, to go down to the Surrey Hills. It wasn't a big move from Barnes to Surrey Hills. It's only 40 minutes away, but, but that whole area of the Surrey Hills, it has downhill mountain biking, which I love doing, um, dirt biking, um, and I've got a house with a big garage. And, and I can, whereas before, I'd be outside my house fixing my bike, and then the daylight would run out. I'd have to put it all away, bring it all back into the house. I could never leave a project going. And so now I have this big are you
2: Are you mechanically minded? I,
1: I, I, can, I, can, I can do most things on a bike. But, I mean, modern bikes, you, which you have to plug in sure. these days, yeah. you can't really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all the other stuff I can do. But, um, you know, as a kid, I used to change the rings. and You know, yeah. two-stroke bikes were pretty easy. Um, I remember taking my whole bike apart because the bloody thing wouldn't work. And I stripped it down. I couldn't find it. And then eventually Tommy Rotsford, who, who was this guru to me, he came and he said, "Oh, have you have you tested the spark plug?" <laughs> I tested the spark plug and it didn't work. And this this, but ending, stripped this, everywhere, st- everywhere. And then of course when you put it back, there's always a couple of bits. that you think, where the fuck do those go? Uh,
2: you know. Uh. Yeah, yeah. No, we've all done it. The answer nowadays is lots of pictures. Apparently, when you yeah, yeah,
1: apart. yeah, photographs. I take lots of photographs now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the way to go. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to an end of our chat here, but it doesn't mean to, we're coming to an end of a chat because basically I'd like some people to ask some questions from Charlie, uh, or for Charlie. Uh, anything that we haven't covered here tonight there is uh, there's an awful lot more in there that I know very much about but we haven't got time to continue for that much longer but I think we've got 15 20 maybe 30 minutes to to have a little chat and we've got our roving mic here and with and with yeah
0: <laughs> Steve Parrish now ladies and gentlemen usual rules about uh, Questions. Let me get to you the microphone so everyone else can hear, because Steve and I are getting very deaf. Aren't we? we are. Yep. Um, very much so, so someone has to be first. back on one or have you always
2: just got straight back on it the next day I mean I've read your autobiography and it's kept me going through broken bones
1: yeah um oh yes I I have a number of books available uh in on Amazon you can pay me later thank you very much (laughs) um uh yeah Funny enough most of the time and I'm sure anybody who rides a motorbike here if you crash a bike the the first thing you want to do is jump back on and Pick up the bike and get back on it before anyone else has seen you crash, and you know with a little bit hanging off, and you sort of you get, did you just crash? You go, no.
2: Mm, yeah, you, you have done that. that I take that it thing falling down. You have done that, have you? Because I have. What? Crashed in front of loads of people and tried to get back on as quick as you oh, possibly
1: can. Yeah, I mean it's so embarrassing. And the other bit is, you know, it's funny you see, you see when you see motorcycle racing and and you see these guys falling off, I and mean, you just think, oh my god. And I'm sure Steve, you know, crashed more than most. But uh, <laughs> I didn't. They called you crasher, didn't they? Mm, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, you didn't crash that much, uh, did you? Not that
2: much. I'm still buckled and twisted. Yeah. But uh, I but did uh, work out quite early on. I didn't want to die. No, that was and,
1: and 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 um, and and then you see them sort of trying to get back on their feet before they've even sort of stopped crashing, and and um. And it's funny because when you end up crashing you do the same thing you mm. end up trying to get back on your feet and then you're starting to run thinking oh i'm still going too fast and you crash again well it's
2: funny because you crash at high speed and you think when you've slowed down to 50 miles an hour from 150 it's, really it's like it's yeah. really slow and you, you just face plant yeah absolutely. i've
1: done it before Have you, i've done it when you've gone sliding along the road on a track and and do your ass get really hot yeah, thinking, oh God, this hurts, and yeah. and trying to sort of wiggle around. That's right,
2: moving yourself around. Moving
1: around, bit. but um, but I think certainly for the two really big crashes, especially the first one, I think that um, you know I I, I remember um, and, and I was awake for the whole thing. So when I had the crash and I hit the wall and destroyed my legs, I, I remember everything, and I remember that the the hit being so hard that I remember I felt like my back teeth had. had had rattled off, and, and it was it was brutal. It was like a brutal feeling, and I remember getting up, immediately getting up, saying to Triumph, "Sorry." Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Apologising terribly and trying to get up, and then I went to walk on my foot, and all I could see was this leg just dangling around, and all this blood pouring out. And I remember thinking, "Oh shit, that's you know." I'm not going to get back on this quick. Way. So I went back down and lay down again, but I did spend most of my time on my back, going, Look, "I'm really sorry <laughs> about the bike," and and. Um and then I had this, this operations to to, to 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 get back and I remember the next morning uh, I, I remember sort of coming too properly and and, uh, and both my legs were 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 in a plaster and I'd broken my left hand as well. And and so I'm sitting there and I'm lying there and I'm looking down and I'm thinking I only had my left hand and thinking, God, this is this is really bad and, and, and I remember starting to feel very sorry for myself and thinking, you know, what if and if only I'd done this. If I'd left the hotel 30 seconds later, this would never have happened. And, you know, all the normal things you go through. And then I heard this snoring and, and I thought, and I realized I, was, I, was, I wasn't in the room of my own. There was someone else in the next door bed sleeping. And I looked over and this guy was fucked. <laughs> Honestly, it was, he was absolutely uh, in a terrible way and he'd had a motorcycle crash as well. And <laughs> looking over at him, and I'm thinking, I'm looking down at myself and thinking, not this bad. Isn't that bad, actually? <laughs> <laughs> and I actually became quite cheery about the whole thing, you know. And, and I remember my wife came in and going, "Hey, Ollie, you're right. <laughs> not so bad, is it?" And she's going, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Um, you have another question, maybe from the floor. Oh, right.
0: You're nice and easy to get to. I don't mind you. you so, Charlie, uh, as a result of Long Way Round. I suspect that BMW sold a, a fair few GSs. Did you did you get any uh, recompense for the commission for all of those bikes they shipped as a result oh.
1: of that? It was funny, you know it was funny because BMW um, uh, um, when Tony Jakeman was was do you remember Tony? Yeah, Tony I remember Jakeman? Tony, yeah. A lovely man and he was running he was ahead of BMW for a long time. And um, when we approached him he said that we want these bikes and, and he lent us some bikes and to to decide whether or not we wanted them um and then uh, when we actually did want to go with it but we wanted support with 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 um spares and supplies and that if something really went wrong with the brain you know the electronics of it that someone would fly the part out or come out and fix it because you're making a tv show and um uh, and so when Tony w- went to, went to um, Germany and, and pitched the idea, they said, no, we're not interested. Don't you get interested. Uh, they don't support them. It's, it's not something we want to do. And so Tony Jacobin came back and he did the whole thing anyway, and, um, uh, which was brilliant on his part. But, but apparently after that, because at that point, just as The Long Way Around came out, BMW had that sort of slightly pipe and slippers kind mm, of mm. Um, uh, persona about it and it was just in 2004 when they when they really started changing their fleet and all their bikes started to change and so we were sort of riding on that crest but I think somewhere some line or somewhere someone said that that, that um, the BMW sales went up by 40% um, because of the show but we saw absolutely zero of any of that uh, and, you and BMW Germany still say oh yes you know but it, we sell plenty of bikes and They weren't particularly interested.
2: But you didn't slide a few into your garage?
1: No. No. I had to give mine back. Mine went back to BMW. Amateur. You always keep a bike. for for £80,000 for charity. Did he? All right. Uh, Gentlemen, just hang on. Thank you very
0: much. Uh, Evening, Steve. Evening, Charlie. been a very good evening. Very informative. Uh. I've just got one simple question. If you had to pick just one motorbike and It had to be your forever motorbike, and it couldn't be a BMW. What would you pick?
1: Oh my gosh, a Vincent Black Shadow. <laughs> no, I, I actually, what I would love to have in my stable is uh, would be an old an old 1942 Indian Scout. Is what I would really like. Uh, I, that as an everyday bike would be would be lovely. But but I, th- I think I think one of the reasons why. Um, the adventure bike, um, you know, the bikes that you and I rode or, or this one here, the Triumph, whatever. This is the best selling motorbike in, um, in the world at the moment, um, is because if, if, you, if you can only have one bike, you know, these bikes do a bit of everything. So you can sit on the motorway for hours. You can go down through Germany or, or, or whatever, you know. And then you, you can go on the autobahn to, to, to the Alps, and then you can go up into the Alps and do the twisty roads. And these bikes are incredible on the twisty roads. And then if you see a lovely kind of gnarly gravel road track, you can go along that as well. So it'll do everything actually really well. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I think that's one of the reasons why it's 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 it's. Um, it's so popular and plus the fact you know i used to be a pocket rocket all the time i, I had loads of sports bikes and g6r 750s the Strads. i had i had the r1s i had Fireblades, i i had loads of these of track bikes and eventually you know they're very they're, they're very one track there's only one thing you can really do with them and you can't really tour on them you can't go off road you can't you know so so you start to realize as you ride a bit more that you know so I I probably probably if I couldn't get the Indian I would have uh, an adventure bike
2: yeah I I think for me I'd probably go for the big new triumph adventure bike the big 1200 exactly what Charlie said it's comfortable it will go anywhere it's fast it's
1: and these modern bikes
2: now And, and they are much more popular now I've just been at the TT this year I've been at lots of events and 80% of the bikes are adventure bikes now. And I think everyone's starting to realise that why do you need a bike that does 210 miles an hour, it's got 200 brake horsepower, when you can't use it anywhere apart from maybe on a track um, and somewhere where the police aren't. So,
1: yeah, I think we've all... Maybe we're getting old, actually, Charlie. Another question at the back, No, I know. I know I, I still look at the audience now and I feel like I'm... 28, 29 years old. Good. So, uh, Anyone got a Another question
0: at the back, uh, gentlemen. <laughs>
1: my father, my father's 89 years old and, and he's got neuropathy and he can't, he's got his, uh, no feeling in his feet so he finds it very difficult to walk. And he was sitting there the other day feeling quite remote, uh, quite uh, sorry for himself, and he goes, you know, Charlie, you know, you know what old age is? And I said, what? And he goes, it's punishment for living a healthy life. LAUGHTER <laughs> Charlie, Charlie. No, I take question. drugs every day now. Charlie, a quick
0: question. Yeah. Um, you've probably heard of Austin Vince and his um, oh, yes. band of adventurers. Did TerraCirca kind of affect or influence your planning or
1: ideas for Long Way Round? Who, who sent the question? So,
0: that's over here.
1: Short oh, grey yeah. haired chap. Hi. Hi. Um, uh, I think um, um, because when you and I did Long Way Round, uh, I suppose there was Austin Vince, and there was uh, Nick Saunders, and there was a whole bunch of people who were doing all that kind of adventure, but no one had really done a kind of a TV show, you know, that managed to get onto television. And and I think Yoon and I just kind of blindly went for it, and we asked lots of different people's um, uh, experiences and and, and what, what they'd gone through and stuff. So so we certainly um, we certainly had a chat. With with everybody we could, um, but but I quickly learned that that if you are going to go off on a bit of adventure or, or go to Africa and safari or or go to South America, or I don't know whatever you want to do, it, I, th- I think it's a, it's a great idea to 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 get an idea of what you'd like to do in that country, but 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 I think but not go too deep into the into the experience before you get there. Mm. So yeah. I quickly learned that that what what I didn't want to do was read lots of books about other people's experiences in those countries. I wanted to sort of, I'd, I kind of, and then your expectations are very different. So sure. when sometimes when you get there, it's not, it's not the same, you're not seeing it through fresh eyes. So I think to a degree, you need to organize your trip, but at the same time, you need to be a bit free.
2: I have a question. Was there any time on any of the trips you've had what I would call life-threatening issues, you know, where you, you really think you were, this is it, I'm
1: done for? Yeah, there was a couple of apart from all your
2: crashes. I mean, yeah, I mean, the
1: crashes. But yeah. no, the crashes. Well, luckily, well, crashing never hurts. No, it's only minutes later. Mm. Uh, but I mean, have you been? But, you know, but, had a gun pointed at you. But when I've had a bad crash, because I, I feel like I want to vomit, mm. and um, that's always a good indication. But um, but you, you know, we, we did. I remember a long way round, we were we were just starting to get into into the into the more wild areas we're getting into further into eastern europe and it was becoming more and more remote and we stopped by the side of the road and we'd seen our first wild camels and of course you and i were doing the david attenborough kind of voice and as everyone does and 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 as we're doing that and claudia was filming this this white larder turns up Mm -hmm. and these two huge guys get out of the front and uh and looking very menacing and we're thinking oh shit and, and we look around and there's a guy in the back, in the back seat and he, he rolls down his window and he smiles with his gold teeth and he smiles and he was saying hey, what are you doing here and we said oh we're just on this trip and as he said that he just pulled out this gun and just pointed it at us both and I just thought oh fuck we're, we're going to die right here <laughs> you know And because they kept looking at all the uh, filming equipment and then, and then luckily around the corner came this big truck um uh and it saw us and it started to pull in and slow down. I think he would s- saw the this little white ladder with these two huge guys and he made this big hoo-ha and they just got in the car and drove off. Right. But it was, I just thought, shit, that is... Um... And there was another time as well when we were in the middle of Mongolia and you and I had come to the end of our tether and, and it was so difficult to get across Mongolia. that It was just, there was no, there's no roads, there's no signposts, there's, there's nothing and it was just, I think, you, you know, sometimes on the trip, you just get to your lowest ebb.
2: You hadn't got your ways with you then. In
1: no ways, there was, there was no, there was nothing. And there was no, there was no KFC, there was no McDonald's. <laughs> you know, for like 14 days, we'd camp 14 days in a row. There was, we were hungry because we completely misread Mongolia. There's, there isn't your local shop, there just isn't. And um, we anyway, just as we were ringing um, Russ and Dave who were in support vehicles they would usually be about a day day and a half behind us and just as we were speaking to them they went oh my god there's a big crash and Russ had rolled the car as we were speaking to them and um, never and use your crying.
2: phone when you're driving Yeah.
1: yeah. and, and they, uh, they had this big crash and wrote the car off and, and then we sort of had this whole thing we thought well we'll ride back to, uh, to help right. but they said look your, your day's ride to get back, you're, you're you know, there's useless, so, so we thought, so we got back on, we carried on and, and there was that, that point that I realised that I stopped popping wheelies and mm. I stopped messing around and just thought, shit, you know, I mean, if you have a crash here, you know, there, there are no helicopters, there's no air ambulance, there's the nearest hospital, there's five days drive, you know, you're, you are in the middle of nowhere and so it really... I remember at that point it really changed and I really, instead of it just being a bike ride around the world, it was like an adventure around mm. the world. And, mm. and, and it's, part of it was thrilling and the other part of it was very scary. Mm. Uh,
0: Any other questions, ladies and gentlemen?
1: Thank you.
2: Charlie, you were just describing how your life was in danger in several situations, but. You've obviously been at the other end of the kindness
1: of strangers. What was the one that stuck in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny. Um, uh, when you do big trips, or when you go on holiday, you don't remember the, the days that you lay on the beach and, and just had a beautiful day on the beach. You, you remember when, when your car had a flat tire and, and someone stopped and helped you. And, and, and that's one of the bigger memories that you have of, of, a, of a holiday or an adventure. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, we, we had so many... Ted Simons, did anyone come across a guy called Ted Simons? He wrote a book called Jupiter's Travels, which is just a fantastic book, all about travel. And he traveled alone around the world on an old Triumph Tiger. Um, he didn't know anything about riding motorbikes, otherwise he wouldn't have taken a journey. But, um, uh, but he writes a book and, and the book starts with him sitting on the side of the road and his bike is broken down. And, and, he's, and, he, and he'd been into the journey for a long time. And he sits there in the, in the knowledge that someone will come along and help, because it always does happen. And it's true. <clears throat> the amount of times we, we, we broke down or something went wrong, someone always stopped and always helped. And, um, and then people took us in and, and, and let us stay in their houses. We had one guy, I don't know if you, anyone remembers the long way around, we had a, a guy called Igor in Ukraine and we, we got stopped for speeding uh, in Ukraine and, and, um, and we weren't speeding and the guy was saying you're speeding and we said, and, and we said no we weren't and he, said, and he had the radar gun and he showed it to us and it said 120 something kilometres but it, it, he, they, they painted it on. <laughs> And I said, that's painted on. And he goes, no, it's not. <laughs> anyway, we had this conversation. They eventually let us off, And we were asking him what we were doing. And we said, um, you know, we're going along wanting to step people's houses, have an adventure, you know, with people. And, you know, the, the bikes kind of took you along. But the adventure was always about the people you met along the way. Anyway, he said, oh, I've finished my shift in a few hours. Meet us in town in a few hours. Because we said we were going to stay in the And hotel.
2: bring the 100 euros. Bring the 100 euros. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he said you don't want to stay in the hotel you can come and stay at our house and so anyway but instead of going to his house he took us to igor's house who was the local mafia and it was a really poor town and really poor and we went to this mafia's house and these big gates opened up and we came in he was building a swimming pool and and we sat in and he and he and he it was just him and us to start with and he was a and he had this amazing life story um, and obviously made a lot of money out of mining and, and doing all sorts of dodgy shit, I have no idea. But, um, and then his mate turned up and his mate came into the house and he, and he opened his jacket pocket, took his gun out, put it on the table and came and sat and talked to us. And then I started to, we started to realize that the house was just full of guns. <laughs> And there were just machine guns everywhere. And then more and more people started to turn up. And then lunch turned into dinner. And more and more people. And, and, and the crazy thing was, is that his wife wouldn't let anyone smoke in the house. So you could carry a Kalashnikov in the house, but you had to smoke outside. And uh, at this point, I was having a cigarette outside. I was smoking then. And the guy was beside me, and he took his gun out and he started firing this gun into the into the. Uh, into the sky, and Ewan was in the house, and he came running out thinking, and he goes, Charlie, Charlie, and and he goes, oh, my God, I thought they'd fucking killed you. And uh, and there was this whole crazy night, and and then halfway through the night, I don't know, about midnight, Igor, our host, comes down the stairs, and he's holding a guitar in one hand and a Kalashnikov in the other hand, and he goes, make love, not war. And then he sang this f- amazing song and, really? oh man, I was never more grateful to get out of someone's house. And, <laughs> you know that thing when that weight is lifted off your shoulders, yeah, yeah. you know, that feeling of freedom, you know, we, and, and we told him that we'd had, it we'd had uh, taken us like 14 hours to get into Ukraine because we didn't have the right paperwork and the guys were just being just mean. And we were stuck on the, on the border of this thing and we were there for so long and our bikes were lined up to go through the barrier and there was a machine gun guy standing there and Ewan said, right, come on, let's go up and talk to this policeman. And so Jim went up to the policeman and he looked at him and he goes, these are not the bikes you're looking for, move aside, <laughs> doing his Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. And the guy just loaded his gun and said, go away. And he ran, we ran away and he was going, well, it worked in the movies. <laughs> but so we told him this story that it took us so long to get through. So when we, we were close to the border of Russia, and when we got to the border, um, we drove him, and there was a guy standing, you know, the big Russian hats, you know, the policeman hats, and he saw us, and he saw us coming, and, and, and he ran back to the, to, the, to the barrier, and he swung the barrier open, and he's going, go, 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 <laughs> and I popped a wheelie across the... Across the <laughs> I think I was the first man to pop pop a wheelie across the Russian border. Absolutely brilliant.
0: Charlie Borman and Steve Parrish. Hello, Charlie. Thank you, you. mate. Ladies and gentlemen, as is customary on these occasions, for our very special guest, although Steve Parrish has got a piece of track mine's um, bigger than that <laughs> indeed um this is a piece of 1907 in brooklyn's oh wow track.
1: oh my gosh
0: so you are now an honorary member of the concrete club
1: oh, well thank you very much it's very kind <laughs> well of well look at that wow uh, oh hey, yeah photo Left. he's gone to sleep. Cliff, you want it? Thanks. wow look at that Ladies
0: and gentlemen, great audience. Thank you very do you much. Yes. Did you guys
1: just knock these up downstairs and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ready mixed concrete? Oh, yeah. 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 uh, but thank you, lovely audience as always. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.
0: You. Um, we've now got the raffle.